morning, everybody. We're going to great, uh, get straight into the, the Word of God. Let's just pray first. Father, in Jesus' name, now we want to open our hearts to the uh, to your truth, the truth that is contained in your Word. We ask you that you will saturate our hearts, everything that we are, with the power, with the presence of the Holy Spirit, that we may be able to see what, what is contained in your Word, Lord, the truth that is contained. Because it is the only thing that will change us and transform us. This we pray in the name of Jesus. All right. Before I start, I just want to comment how last week was amazing. Calvin preached a killer sermon last week on having faith or have faith in God. And uh, I, uh, among many statements that he made, this one statement that I'm going to quote, I love it. I mean, I paraphrase a little bit. This is how I understand it. But this is the, the, my favorite statement. He said, when by faith we step into something that seems uncertain, we actually step into and towards one certainty, which is Jesus. Whoa. I'll, I'll read it again. When by faith we step into something that seems uncertain, we actually step into and towards one certainty, which is Jesus. Faith is the key. So this morning I just want to build on what he just, what he preached last week about faith. So my question is, I want to begin with this question. So what does faith look like? Okay, what does it look like? What is faith? And I believe, I've written here, faith is holding on to and living out the Word of God. i say it again. Faith is holding on to and living out the Word of God because the Word of God is powerful. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my Word stands forever. And I want to start by giving some examples about the power of the Word of God. I'll begin with example number one. In Luke chapter 5, the initial call of Jesus, Jesus calling the disciples and the call of Peter. And in that story in Luke chapter 5, verse 4 and 5, uh, the miracle was, the, the, way, the way I've written here, this bunch of fish actually obeyed the word of Jesus. <laughs> and the way it happened, this this huge amount of fish actually huddled into the nest that nearly sank the boat. That is the miracle. But that miracle happened because of the obedience of one man called Peter. And that's how it began. So the scenario is this. Imagine this carpenter, who's not a fisherman, carpenter Jesus came to this professional seasoned fisherman called Peter or Simon and said to him, let's go into the deep, catch some fish. And Peter answered Jesus, we've done that and we caught nothing. We've done it, got nothing. Then he said, however, at your word, I will let down my nets. That's how the miracle began, by his obedience to the word of Jesus. He said, at 
your word, I will let down my nets. The second thing is, in the Luke chapter 8, when uh, Jesus decided to go to the other side of the lake, Jesus said, this miracle pretty much, the raging sea obeyed the storm and the raging sea, the wind obeyed the word of Jesus. In uh, Luke chapter 8 verse 1 uh, to 25, Jesus said to the disciples, let's go to the other side of the lake. And the story shows that if you, if you look into the, the, the story, actually, that when I, when I imagine, I think, sorry, it's Matthew chapter 8, when the, when the, the, uh, the disciples went and, and the, the storm and the sea and the, the wind actually obeyed the, uh, the word of Jesus, the way I see it is that every element in the universe at that moment obeyed the word of Jesus. That's powerful. That's, that's crazy. Every element in the universe at that moment obeyed the word of Jesus. That's the first lesson about that story. The second lesson about that story is that if Jesus says we're going to the other side, we're going to get to the other side regardless of the winds or the waves because he said so. It shows that life is not going to be easy, but we're going to get there <laughs> because Jesus said so. Yeah, regardless of the winds or the, or the storms or the waves. The, the third example is the demons obeyed Jesus. The gym, demons, his name is the Legion. Legion is, if you look at the, the story, is, is actually a, a Roman legion is about 6,000 uh, soldiers. So this guy is filled with many demons. So the demons obeyed Jesus, nature obeyed Jesus, the fish obeyed Jesus, Peter obeyed Jesus. So the nature obeyed Jesus, everything obeyed Jesus. Often the, the discrepancies is we find it hard to obey Jesus. All right? So if that's happened, I think the, the least that can be expected from the disciples of Jesus is obedience to the word of Jesus. His word, or more precisely, keeping his word and abiding in and living out his word is what makes us disciples of Jesus. John chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus said, If you abide in my word, you will be my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You see that? Abiding in his word makes us disciples of Jesus, and because of that, we will know the truth, and the truth will set us free. So here's the thing. Among the many words of Jesus in, in the Bible, which one should we live out in the context as context of what we are facing right now in the world today. What is it? I'd like to ask you to go to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to read 
And uh, we're going to read from verse 25. Verse 25. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. It says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. Yet your heavenly father, I want you to underline that, your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor nor spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. Verse 30. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans, or Gentiles, run after all these things. And your Heavenly Father knows that you need them. But as for you, you, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things, what things? All the pagans and the Gentiles are running after will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So let's unpack this, this passage here. The context of this passage, it is part of the Sermon on the Mount which start at Matthew chapter 5 and end uh, at chapter 7, Matthew 5 to Matthew 7. This whole Sermon on the Mount is the first cluster of teaching immediately after Jesus chose his disciples. This teaching, even when you read the, that part of the Gospel, even though it, it is in front of the people, but it is actually directed towards the disciples. If you read Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, where it says, After seeing the crowds, Jesus went up to the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And then he opened his mouth and began to teach them. Of course, the teaching began with uh, the Beatitudes. And we get to this part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talking about how to handle life struggles. The struggle in life. If I can say the theme of, of this, this, this part of the Sermon on the Mount is pretty much what Jesus is saying is wor worrying, being worried or worrying about, about something, about thing, will not change anything, but faith will. That's pretty much the message. So building block of faith in this case, let's unpack this passage here. 
Jesus moved from getting the disciples to have the right perspective, and after having the right perspective, he moves to the preoccupation of the believers with the right perspective. What that right perspective looks like. Alright? So, which means, the, you know, he begins with, in the passage, with the significance of life. This is the, the, uh, the, the outline of the, the passage. The significance of life in general, and then the significance of life in the context of creation. And then the significance and value of the life of the disciples as God's people. It's powerful. Let's move, okay, let's, let's start with point number one here. Jesus began with our perspective of life in general. Verse 25, do not worry about your life or what you will eat or drink or about your body or what you will wear. Now here's the point that he's pushing here. Is not life more than food and body more than clothes? That's the point he was making. It was like Jesus bringing the disciples into perspective of their life. Okay? He said, isn't life more than food and body is more than clothes? And then, point number two, then he broadened their, uh, their, their, their perspective to look at life beyond themselves. To see God's Grace in creation, not just in their life, but in creation. Verse 26, he said, look at the birds in the air. They do not sow nor reap or store away in the barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And then he brings that points back to them again. Don't you see you are more worth than these guys? All these things, brother. <laughs> so he broaden their, their, their perspective on creation as a whole and then point them back to them as who they are. Okay? We can see that Jesus is trying to develop their perspective here of who they are in life in, in general and in, in the big picture. And the next thing he also points out, the riches of God's grace and glory as displayed in creation. The glory that is unmatched by human effort, he said in verse 28. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor, labor or spin. And yet I tell you, not even Solomon, now Solomon is the greatest king of Israel in the Old Testament. His palace, everything. Jesus said, even all the riches of man as great as Solomon was, cannot match what God has created. Yeah? After doing that, then God draws their attention to see the greatness of God in them as His people. Verse 30. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, all little faith? I want you to just, 
understand the language here. Jesus, in trying to push the, the, the point, he's going from the, the, what they, they said is the comparison of lesser to greater sort of thing. It's like the language, if I can explain it, when Jesus said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give give good gifts to to you? It was really trying to point out how important they are in, this, in the sight of God. Will He not much more clothe you, or you of little faith? So Jesus really trying to push this perspective of how great God is. That they are being taken care of by God. They, need to, they don't need to worry about it. The perspective of life. And then the point number four, pretty much, after developing their perspective on life and then Jesus moved into who they are as his chosen people because because if you read in verse 31, he says, So do not worry saying what we shall eat, or what we shall drink, or what we shall wear. In verse 32, he said, Because the pagans, people who don't know God, Gentiles, who have no relationship with God, that's what they're after. Okay? At this point, Jesus actually draws the attention of the disciples. He was highlighting the conducts of the average people outside there. With no relationship with God. Gentiles, pagans, people who don't know God. That's what they do. And in doing that, he makes a distinction between the people, the believers of Jesus, to the people who are outside the covenant, the disciples, as opposed to the people in the world with no relationship with God. That's why in that last word he said, as for you, in English, we just said, seek first the kingdom of God. Actually, in, in, in Greek, if I, uh, if I can, can translate it directly, he said, that's what the pagan, pagans and the Gentiles do, but as for you, that's not your preoccupation. You need to be preoccupied with the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, what things? All these things that those guys outside the relationship with God that they, they're pursuing in their lives, they will be added to you. Wow. So here's the thing. As I, I, as I look at the scripture, it was like Jesus first tried to draw the perspective to see who they are in God. And once they have the right perspective, then the fruit of that is having the right preoccupation. As God's people, I, my, my preoccupation is not that. My preoccupation is pursuing the kingdom of God. Yeah. What does that really mean to pursue the kingdom of God? Everything, God's will in my life. And God is about His people. In the middle of all the situation, everybody's worried, everybody's concerned. And this is the thing. Am I concerned? Am I scared? You bet I, I, there are times where I was like, oh God, what the heck are we going on? But like I said before, faith is holding on to and living out the Word of God. I remain, I, like Jesus said, 
if you abide in my word, I decide, I make a choice to remain to the truth of the word of God and make a choice. I'm not going to worry because worrying is not going to change anything but faith as a result of abiding in the word of God will change things. And we have to make a choice. I'll tell you why we need to make a choice. Because if we don't make a choice to live by faith and to rest in God, and we are worried about the pagans and the Gentiles pursuing all these things, guess what? We will find in our lives another master, not Jesus, but another master. Who is it? Well, let's look at, look at our scripture. In our passage, as we read in verse, uh, verse 25, it said, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. That word, therefore, it means that there's another statement in a preceded that, that statement as a foundation of the, this statement. The reason why Jesus is saying this is because there, there is a statement before that that Jesus made that became a foundation. What was that statement? Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve bo both God and money. You're going to love one or the other. He said, you can only have one master. He said, therefore, make a decision. You're not going to worry about this stuff. So... This is because that's what the world is pursuing. If we start to worry about this, the danger is like Jesus said, we're going to end up having another master in our lives and I don't want to do that. And I make a decision to rest in God and I'll tell you what, dies, uh, uh, what I said from Job chapter 38, was powerful. It's pretty much like I thought, well, God definitely is trying because we haven't talked about what she was going to share. She knew what I was going to preach, but knowing that, she probably picked up that, <laughs> that thing just before communion, that, that passage from Job chapter 38. You know, the story of Job is very simple. It's like things happen in his life as a man who feared God, unlike the typical Christians believe, if you fear God, all good things going to happen, but with Job, it's like, no, actually, I feel God, but all these things happen to me. And in the conversation that I read, pretty much what God is saying is this. Like, you see the creations, your minds won't comprehend it. So in other words, you just have to trust me. You just have to trust me. Because the world is too big. It was as if God is saying to, to Job, listen, I haven't even touched spiritual stuff. I'm talking about the Vermouth, I'm talking about Leviathan, I'm talking about all those things, all in, within nature and your mind won't comprehend it. I haven't even touched on spiritual things. So Job, you just have to trust me. And Job's response in that, at the end of the conversation, Job said, I have spoken of things too highly for myself. So here's the thing. In closing, we're going to close with this song. We're going to trust God because He's in control. And uh, like I said, 
Jesus said, we're going to the other side. We're going to get to the other side. Job 42. Then Job said to the Lord, I know that you can do all things and that no thought or purpose of yours can be restrained or thwarted. This is powerful. Verse 1. Verse 2 and verse 3. You said to me, who is this that darkens and obscures counsel by words without knowledge? Therefore, I now see I have rashly uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. The amazing thing is that we can know God in such an incredibly personal way. So I want to give that invitation if you're watching. Uh, if you're watching live, you can join our meet and greet straight after this, as soon as we're finished, which we're doing right now. Uh, if you are watching later on and you want to know God more, just contact our office, go to melbournelife.org, go to the contact page, email us, call us, and uh, we'll get in touch with you. But please, know that you can know this God, this great God who loves us, and we can, we can trust Him with our lives, and we can trust Him like never before in this season. Nothing happens that He doesn't know about. Okay? He loves us. Awesome, guys. Thank you for joining us today. Have an awesome rest of the day, rest of the week, and, uh, yeah, look out for our lounge room series that starts this week. It's going to be fun. Okay, love you guys.